limits your REM sleep as well as your deep sleep. So your sleep is sedated. You've successfully sedated yourself into sleep because that's what alcohol is. It's a sedative. And you're not going to achieve those same quality, like deep restorative sleep. You're not going to spend that much time there. And then same with REM sleep. You're not going to get much of it. That's why sometimes if your body's kind of processing it overnight, you get kicked out of REM sleep and you wake up early. Like if I drink, if I have some alcohol or too much alcohol and my body hasn't processed it, I will be up at 4 a.m. wide awake. So I'm like, well, the REM sleep is kind of cut. If you're an avid runner and looking for help to understand the science, simplify the complicated and remove hurdles so that your next run is not only fun and fulfilling, but also fuels you with passion and purpose, then you're in the right place. Runner Click presents The Passionate Runner with your host, me, Whitney Hines. Hi, and welcome to episode 19 of Runner Clicks, The Passionate Runner podcast. I am your host, Whitney Hines. I'm a lifelong runner, a certified running coach, and founder of themotherrunners.com, a resource for moms who run. And today, I'm really, really excited. This is kind of a bucket list interview. We're talking to a behavior analyst and sleep specialist, Nicole Shallow. She's also known as Your Behavior Gal on Instagram. Happy and healthy running is built on the foundation of solid sleep. But for many of us runners, that can be hard to come by, especially if you are a parent or mother runner or just a really busy person in general. You know, we're busy. We're often trying to squeeze our training into the early morning hours, which means that our alarms are going off before dawn. So we're getting less sleep. But sleep is where champions are made. It's also where nicer people are made too. So how can we optimize our sleep? Nicole's going to give us some really great hints and tricks on how we can get the best sleep that will help us perform better, just be nicer, better people. She talks about the dangers that we may encounter if we are running on E most of the time, when to worry about sleep deprivation and how to fix our own sleep and other people's sleep habits, such as our kids that may affect our own sleep. Some more about Nicole. She is a lover of food, swimming, and family, and she is a board-certified behavior analyst and a sleep specialist. From her own experience with struggling with sleep from early childhood, Nicole realized that knowledge is power. Through learning about sleep science, what is sleep, and how our behaviors impact our ability to sleep soundly, she was able to transform her own mental and physical health, Her passion is sharing all that she's learned with others so that they too can take back the night and conquer their days. So we're going to get to this awesome interview with Nicole after this short message from our sponsor, RunnerClick. If you are an avid runner and looking for help to understand the science, simplify the complicated and remove hurdles so that your next run is not only fun and fulfilling, but also fuels you with passion and purpose, then you are in the right place. Runner Click presents The Passionate Runner with your host, Whitney Hines. Hello, Nicole. It's great to see you. Hi, thanks for having me. So we've already been talking about good stuff and I'm like, okay, we need to press record so that we can share (laughs) your insights with the rest of the world. So I'm so excited to have you on here. I've been wanting to talk to a sleep specialist for a very long time, actually, because... I feel like sleep is like 
the bedrock of which everything is like grows from. So yeah. yeah, if you have poor sleep, it's hard to have quality in anything else. So with that, I kind of want to open up with just kind of getting your own sleep story. I know you mentioned in your bio that you experienced like a game changer in your life after you were able to optimize your own sleep. Yeah. So sleep has always been a struggle for me since I was a kid. I have a twin sister. She slept fine. I did not. (laughs) I'm pretty sure my sleep problems started in the womb because I always had someone next to me the whole time. But I was a very anxious sleeper as a child, like the Easter Bunny, Santa Claus. That was very scary to me. And then as a teenager with the stress of life as what happens when you are a teen, that just exacerbated everything. I was, my parents had no idea how to support myself. I would sleep on my sister's floor. I was so anxious. And then that anxiety continued into adulthood. I never really, after I learned about sleep, I realized, Hey, I had never really learned how to fall asleep. Like what that behavior actually is. I always had a lot of controlling factors around it. So as I learned what sleep is, how it works, and how to optimize my sleep and change my habits to support my physiological responses <laughs> to get to sleep, I was able to now I just sleep. I'm not perfect. I would say I still have nights that if anxiety rears its ugly head or um, if things happen, it can go up and down, but I know it'll always come back. Like I just trust that sleep will come. So that's been for me, my quick journey <laughs> personally, <laughs> but And I feel like my parents just at the time when we were little, all they knew was their own sleep habits, which if you look at their sleep habits, they weren't great either. And cried out was one of the only things that they knew how to do at the time. Yeah. Um, And which is like fine. And it's a choice for sure. But I know my mom said if she had known another way, she probably would have done differently. Yes. I love that you have struggled with, I mean, hate that you have struggled with it, but I love that you have struggled with it because A, you're now helping so many other people and B, like you understand the trouble that comes with just trying to sleep, which you think like, well, animals do it. Like, why can't we humans do it? But our brains are very complex. There's a lot going on between the ears. And just like, I feel like it's really, really powerful that you're able to relate to other people as a person who struggles. And and we could talk about this for hours as somewhat as a kid and understanding like from a kid's point of view, how it can be hard to learn how to sleep, how to fall asleep. Mm -hmm. You said that you had like some other factors that I guess you kind of used as a crutch maybe when you were younger to try to fall asleep. Oh, Was yeah. that like being close to your sister or having people close to you or? Yeah, close to my sister. I would always like, I would be like, okay, I'm going to sleep in my bed tonight. And then there would always be like an emergency bed that I could like go and sleep on my sister's floor because we wanted mm-hmm. to be independent. But then it was just easier for me to sleep on the floor because I would fall asleep so fast having snacks right before bed. So making sure that I was full before bed was something that really helped. Although it was causing night wakings. Now Mm. I have learned reflecting back on that. My also listening to books on tape, like before we had iPads and like music that you could easily do. It was like press play. And then in the middle of the night it would stop. So I'd have to like turn it over and press play again. Like a little cassette 
Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. That's I remember my, those. Like, my dad used to do that too. Like that's what he would do to fall asleep. So they suggested that we try that and it worked. However, mm-hmm. it still caused me to wake up and I still wasn't really learning to fall asleep. Yeah. There's lots yes. of things there. Wow. Yeah. I mean, there's so many people that have to fall asleep with the TV on or um, I actually was, we'll get into the good stuff, but my um, sister-in-law was complaining that she doesn't sleep very well. And we, she went on vacation with us and I could hear her phone dinging throughout the night. Like she was getting alerts all the time throughout the night from all of her different apps And I could hear her because I woke up like hours before everybody else to get ready for my run. And I could hear her breathing change every time her phone dinged. And I was like, hey, I know why you're not sleeping well. You need to go through and edit your notifications on your phone because that is not doing you any favors. Yeah. And I mean, and we'll probably dive into it too. But while we're here, it's the technology age. Like it really has impacted sleep for everybody and the research is pretty pronounced on that where especially in teens and children um, they're learning to sell they're learning to soothe using technology which is it works and it's you know sometimes we do need to use tech to do that because survival but is it something that we need to practice doing when we're going to bed it's like are we falling asleep to a show I'm guilty I've done that before when anxiety comes back I come back around and start to watch friends on repeat. Like that's just an anxiety <laughs> soothing. It's soothing. Thing. Yeah, I get it. It's comforting. <laughs> exactly. It's comforting. So understanding that and when we are, are exposed to technology right before bed, it does impact the quality of sleep that we get. So we don't go into those same deep sleep restorative stages and it impacts, it can impact just, that's where you're not feeling rested, even though you felt like, okay, I slept for eight hours. I don't feel like I slept for eight hours. Right. You're just not getting the same benefits of if you weren't. And I actually did a challenge last week. I did a screen free hour on a social media. And I was like, well, I'm doing this for me because I needed to put myself back into my healthier rhythms. Uh And it was amazing. Some of the people who were doing it, they're like, I slept for an extra hour. And then they fell asleep earlier. And oh, they were yeah. just surprised that it was actually that huge of an impact just to give yourself an hour of screen-free break before falling asleep. I always just put my phone on airplane mode anyway, so no one can contact me. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously it's like the blue light, but it's also just to get your brain going. Like I, so we, and we may get into this later, but my kids like us to lay down with them until they fall asleep, which... And they are capable of falling asleep on their own, but they like that. And it's like a big battle for me mentally because I'm like, I would love to have that time to myself. But it's also like, they're only little for so long. They're Mm going to be kicking us out of bed soon enough and we'll be yearning for these times. But when I come downstairs and my phone's on my bedside table and I'll see that people have texted me and I'm just like, I'm not going to look because then I'm going to get pulled into it. And my mind's going to be thinking about what these people have texted me about. And so I challenge myself to just go forget about it, deal with it in the morning, go straight to bed. Okay. So let's start with, let's start at square one and talk about why sleep is so important as a, just a human being, but Mm -hmm. as an athlete as well. Well, sleep has stuck around through evolution, right? So obviously it's important. (laughs) (laughs) It's stayed with us. It's a powerful healing tool that I think 
since the Industrial Revolution or whatever major shifts have happened is that we don't necessarily prioritize it as much as humans. Like, we just like, oh, it's sleeping. You just lie there and do nothing. It's not productive. How can Mm -hmm. that be helpful? However, when we sleep, all of the healing happens, both mentally and physically. And the research is unable to find any system in the body that doesn't benefit from this. So like hormone Mm. balancing, muscle repair and growth, mental health and managing thoughts and emotions, problem solving, all of these things happen while we're sleeping. So our physical body isn't really moving, but our minds are like on fire. Everything is being stored in long-term memory. It's just, that's what's going on when we're sleeping. There's lots of busyness going on, but you wouldn't be able to see it unless you had yourself hooked up to like electrodes and (laughs) scans. Which could be fun, but. I would love that. I would love to be able to get that. (laughs) The wait list is long here. And I don't have a problem. So unfortunately I can't go get my brain scanned, but. (laughs) I'm sure you know somebody that could get you in one day. One day. Exactly. (laughs) put that out in the universe. Someone come scan my brain while I'm sleeping. (laughs) But yeah, it really just flushes out. It's like basically taking the garbage out at the end of the day. Um, Yeah. I mean, I even see that like with my kids when they're falling asleep or I'm trying to get them to fall asleep. And it's just like the chatter won't stop. Like you can tell that they're just processing everything that happened during that day as they're drifting off. I very much disagree with the saying that like, oh, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Because I'm like, when I am sleep deprived, I am not really living. Like I am just Mm -hmm. getting by right in the red line. So as an athlete, like when we run, we have micro tears and our tissue, like we break down our bones. And so I know when we sleep, that's when the recovery happens, like hormones such as the human growth hormone Mm -hmm. are released. And that's actually when we are becoming fitter, right? Yeah. So you're putting all the damage in in during the day to build and then overnight it will rebuild. So as you get sleep, especially if you're training for a marathon or doing like intensive running, it's not just a short jog, like you really are putting like a lot of damage in, but to create more, you kind of have to damage to repair and just build, right? So sleep is going to be that for you. If you're not getting the high quality sleep that you need, that's where injury can happen. That's where illness can happen. So using that as a buffer to help really take advantage of all the effort you're putting in during the day. I have a lot of follow-up questions to that, but what is like the anatomy of a sleep cycle look like? Like how many, because I know you go through different phases, like what does that look like? And then like how many does the average person need for it to be truly restorative? Yeah, that's a great question because again, look it up online. That's kind of like your typical sleep cycle and a typical sleep cycle it's like the average. So there's always going to be swings on either end. However, everyone's is individualized. But in general, what happens is we have to break it down to start. I'll try to like visually explain this to people who are listening. So hopefully they can understand. (laughs) You've got two separate types of sleep. So you've got your non-REM sleep and then you have your REM sleep. And then within non-REM sleep, there's four stages stages one, two, three, and four. And then stage four is like your deepest, most restorative sleep. So imagine starting up at waking. And then right when we go to sleep is usually when we go into deep sleep pretty quickly in the first hour, couple hours. And you spend the most of your time there in the first four or five hours of the night. 
And then, so this is like an eight hour sleep cycle around. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then you start going into REM. So you go down into deep, come up into some REM, go down into some more deep sleep, and then come up. And at the end of the night, the last few hours is actually where a lot of your REM sleep is. So your rapid eye movement sleep, which is your dream sleep. And during dream sleep, if we're, if we don't have any sleep disorders, usually you are paralyzed and not moving during your dreams so that we don't act out our dreams because they can be so real. But so if you're cutting your sleep short, so let's say you go to bed at 10, but you need to get up at three, <laughs> then you're likely missing I'm all of that. That's what I had to do <laughs> yeah. today. So Then you're cutting off all of your REM sleep. And your REM sleep is so important for emotional regulation, storing memories, and just a lot of like your mental health side of things too. So, so if I'm screaming at my kids, we all today, we all know why. <laughs> yeah. Like your fuse is going to be a little bit yeah. shorter. And I find, I found that to be helpful for me to understand it. So I can give myself a little bit of self-compassion of like, mm-hmm. it's okay. You might need extra breaks today. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because you're not going to be able to tolerate a typical, like a typical day because I didn't get that same amount of sleep and no amount of caffeine is going to help. that. <laughs> you just- right. Yes. Yeah. I was going to ask you about the whole caffeine because I feel like it's a little, it's artificial. Like it doesn't actually make me feel more awake well, when I have stops- it during the day. Yeah. It just stops that feeling of like pressure, like the sleep pressure build up because mm-hmm. you didn't kind of go through all the sleep cycles to get rid of it. And so that's where caffeine just blocks that a little bit. For, um, yeah. For a little however, bit. It comes rushing back as soon as the caffeine wears off. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then obviously like you don't want to have it too late in the day because then you're just going to be digging deeper into the hole. And so the hormones that help build us back and get rid of the damage from the day, from the running, et cetera, that happens during the deep sleep. So those first like four or five hours, you said. Yeah. And it's so important. The deep sleep is just really important for recovery, but you also need a balance of it because we do dip into it for the rest of the night. It's just not as long. And again, everyone cycles depending on how much we're sleeping. Sometimes that can shift how much sleep you need. Cause if you have a night where you didn't sleep, you might be catching up on it the next night. And so your sleep, typical sleep cycle will look different. So it's finding a balance and finding a bit of consistency as best that you can. And I read somewhere that, and this could be totally bogus, but for every mile that you run a week, you need an extra minute of sleep per night. So if you run 60 miles a week, then you would need an extra hour. And I have not seen that backed up, but I, so I figured I would ask you if that, if you've I mean, seen, I think that's so specific. That. Yeah. <laughs> cause I mean, cause it's like one person may run a six minute mile. One person may run a 12 minute mile and your body doesn't, your body knows like the time of effort that you're putting in, not necessarily like the ground that you're covering. Right. So. Exactly. Cause I feel like there's some <laughs> runners who are running a lot and they're not sleeping like for 15 hour nights. Right. So right. it is figuring out to what your body needs. So like, if you look at, am I getting injured? Am I getting sick? Am I like, are these things happening for me? Why I can never get ahead or I can never move forward in my running. Maybe it is taking a look at the sleep and like, could I improve the quality of the sleep that I'm getting? Sometimes it's not even about quantity. It's the quality, right? 
that's usually where we start is building up quality first and then quantity will come later. But it's, if you're having disrupted sleep or you're sleeping, if you're having disrupted sleep or sleeping for 10 hours, it's not really helpful. Yeah. I'd love to dive into that because a lot, especially as moms, we often have a lot of disruptive sleep. If it's not our kids, it's the dog or we're waking up in the middle of night and then our brains start going, thinking about all the things that we have to do. And this is, and for busy people as well, this podcast, Mm -hmm. it's not just for mother runners. So how can you improve your quality of sleep? I don't know if that's too like general of a question. I mean, it's that busy mind. If we're waking up, it's being okay with the thoughts that come through rather than getting hooked into them. So a thought comes through around, I have to do this, 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 and this tomorrow. Usually what comes up, I don't know what comes up for you, but it's like noticing it and then not allowing yourself to kind of run through the worst case scenarios if those things don't get done. And now we're spiraling into this like anxiety ridden moment and our body Mm -hmm. is heightened. So it's noticing those thoughts and practicing relaxation as much as you can. So if the thought comes through, be like, oh, I have a to-do list item. Okay. I'll just trust that my brain's going to do that. Or I'm having a thought that this is happening and allowing yourself to just rest in those moments for that. It's harder, easier said than done in the middle of the night. So I always suggest practicing mindfulness or present moment thinking during the day first so that you can be more conscious of it because when we're in the middle of the night, half our brain is like still turned off and logic, Mm -hmm. Um, but practicing that and allowing that to become more fluent for yourself. And then when there's night waking, sometimes it's looking at what is causing them. Is it having to use the washroom? Is it I'm hungry? Is it a noise is going on? It is looking at kind of why the night wakings are happening, but also knowing that night wakings are normal. We all wake up a little bit in the night. Sometimes we remember them. Sometimes we don't. Usually if that happens, it might be like, oh, I accidentally woke up a little bit too much, but this is my normal night waking because it's usually around the same time every night. Most people (laughs) would say that they're like, it's so weird. I wake up around the same time every night. It must be like some kind of (laughs) (laughs) something really important about 233 or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no, you're just coming through like a natural waking and that's okay. And you can just kind of lie down and go back to sleep. But yeah, a lot of that is really management of those, the anxiety during the day, which will then help you kind of manage it in the evening. Is there an average amount of time that people wake up in the night? Like I um, asked my Instagram followers for questions to ask Mm -hmm. you. And one of them asked me, she goes to the bathroom three times in the middle of the night. And so Mm -hmm. she was wondering if that was wrecking with her sleep. Is three or more wake ups, like full wake ups too much? I say that's pretty high for adults. Kids, mm-hmm. because they sleep longer, they might have a little bit more. Because we do go through 90-minute cycles. Not every okay. 90 minutes do we wake up, but it does become a lighter sleep. Every 90 minutes, you're going through some new stages. So that can be what's happening. And sometimes with kids who wake up really frequently, sometimes they're waking up almost every 90 minutes or maybe three hours. So you kind of see a pattern there. And again, that 90 minutes is an average. It's not for right, but... It is approximately that. But yeah, looking at night wakings and sometimes with age, like so as we get older, our ability to kind of hold our bladder for longer dissipates. 
or looking at, am I drinking maybe some tea that's maybe causing me to pee a lot during the night? Am I eating too close to bed, which my digestive system is still too active overnight? Um, Some of those things you can look at. In addition to the busy mind or a full bladder or your kids who may or may not climb into bed with you in the middle of the night and then wake you up, what are some other, or staring at your phone, so those are some of the ones that we've talked to, what are some other like disruptive sleep habits or poor sleep quality habits that people have? Like I know that drinking before bed and potentially eating before bed can hurt your quality of sleep. Yes. So drinking alcohol is definitely, I don't know if you meant drinking alcohol. Oh yes. Sorry. Yes. (laughs) Alcohol, it actually limits your REM sleep as well as your deep sleep. So your sleep is sedated. You've successfully sedated yourself into sleep because that's what alcohol is. It's a sedative. And you're not going to achieve those same quality, like deep restorative sleep. You're not going to spend that much time there. And then same with REM sleep. You're not going to get much of it. That's why sometimes if your body's kind of processing it overnight, you get kicked out of REM sleep and you wake up early. Like if I drink, if I have some alcohol or too much alcohol and my body hasn't processed it, I will be up at 4am wide awake. So I'm like, well, the REM sleep is kind of cut. So looking at that, eating right before bed, yes, you do want your digestive system to be sleeping while you're sleeping so that it can restore and repair. This kind of goes for kids too, is if their stomach can be at least an hour and a half to two hours before your last meal, that would be ideal. Longer if some people do intermittent fasting, so they're used to that longer stretch, but it does allow your digestive system to rest and then reduces future issues around like allergies or um, gut issues and stuff like that. Those are great tips. I didn't realize that it had to be or that it should be a couple of hours before, but I guess that makes sense as far as being in line with how long it takes your body to start digesting food. I wanted to circle back to the amount that people run and obviously running can help and exercise in general can help you sleep better. But if you are doing higher volume and therefore you are doing more damage to your muscles and, and soft tissues and bones, does that necessitate more sleep? The more you run, you're likely going to need more than you would otherwise a night? I would say like looking at some of the research studies, yes, athletes do need more. However, it seems to not be common for athletes to actually get more, even though they need it. Because they've shown like if they can get, they can control the environment, they can make sure athletes are sleeping for longer. I think it was a swimming, I think it was for swimming in Australia. They got all their Olympic swimmers and they started to do this. And they did show improvement in their performance. So during race time, as well as in practice and things like that. But it doesn't seem to be realistic, especially when you add in travel and you add in training times and you add in all of these things that interrupt our sleep and the anxiety of itself on race day. Like, yeah. So, like, do you sleep well before race day? Or Oh, no, usually your mind is going. But from what I had read, like usually the night before doesn't matter as much as long as like the nights leading up to that, you've had good sleep. Yes. So it is getting, your body will likely need more and you might spend more time in deep sleep if your body feels like that's what you need. 
Oh, so it will, your body will kind of, it will adapt to what you need. So it's your sleep cycle is based on what tasks your body feels like it needs to perform in order to recover from whatever you did to it that day. Yeah. It'll be like more deep sleep or more REM, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. So that's cool. Yeah. It's, and I think like uh, there's some research too around PTSD and using REM sleep to support that is like you can, cause it does, it manages, it takes the emotion out of the events. And so using that to kind of separate from can help with PTSD. So like if you're going to induce REM sleep then doing that, oh, wow. so I think it's pretty powerful and our bodies know what they need uh-huh. Typical sleep cycle, it will change depending on what we need, but that's like our goal is to have a bit more consistency and to meet all of those stages. Yes. And so I know going to bed around the same time and waking up around the same time is really important because that helps with consistency. Right, exactly. So our body runs on a circadian rhythm. Like we have this, we have a clock and it needs to, it's not consistent every day. So using that to kind of make sure that we're awake and our digestive systems are on track, everything's on track, and then we can go to sleep at the right time. But if we start mixing things around, then things will start mixed around. So how do you know if you are too exhausted to go running? Like a lot of parents in particular have kids that have been sick during the night or just a lot of different wake ups and they're exhausted and they have a workout to do the next morning. How do you know when to make the right choice that like, if I do this run or this workout, like this is going to set me up for potential illness or injury or just completely drain me for the day or too exhausted. And it's much better to just skip the day and push the workout. I think that's dependent on where you're at. I think one night off, like one night of off sleep isn't going to, again, ruin everything. It's going to maybe impact your ability to perform at the same level. But I think maintaining that consistent schedule can be helpful. And you might just give yourself a bit of a break around how you're performing that day. Every It's kind of hard to say. So every once in a while, it's okay. But like, when do you need to be concerned? Like if it's more than once a week or... Is it too like individual to even say? I think if you're noticing like side effects of sleep deprivation. So if you are feeling more pain or maybe you did feel like a slight injury or a tweak, then you might want to reconsider, okay, maybe I should prioritize sleep a little bit and give an ease up on training until that kind of gets back. But again, it's always looking at like, why is my sleep off? Is it something that I can maybe support with? So for moms who have kids waking up, is there a way to support them? support their children and sleeping through the night so that mom can sleep longer because moms need good sleep. (laughs) They have so much going on during the day. Yes. Yes, we absolutely do. And yeah, being able to like, it didn't even occur to me. We were talking about this earlier to like shift my focus from what can I do to get better sleep to what can I do with the challenges from my kids and helping them get better sleep so that they're not waking me up. Like that didn't even occur to me. Like to right. try to, to control them, their variables or them as a variable, I think, because it's like just easier to kind of try to deal with yourself. But so much of it is out of your control. It is. And, and I've worked with so many parents and kids with different neurodivergent needs and things like that. And it's been 
once again, it's looking at how can I teach my kids to fall asleep and feel safe sleeping and feel comfortable and confident in sleeping so that eventually I'll get my sleep because they won't wake me up in the middle of the night to whatever it is that they need. I also truly am inspired by kids and how they can find the right time to sneak into their parents' beds. (laughs) It's usually like they're so stealthy. They just kind of climb in like right when mom or dad are in REM sleep and no one hears them until like the morning. And then you're like, how did you get in here? They time it perfectly. So (laughs) mine didn't learn that skill. Like my son (laughs) always comes down and he always doesn't, he can't find his taggy, his lovey that he sleeps with. Mm. And so he's very sweetly asks me to go find it. And almost always it's like right in the middle of his bed. I'm like, Cal, did you even try before you woke me up? So yeah, I could start right there. Hey. Yeah. And like for kids, a lot of it is, and, and we can, dive into this side too a lot of it is figuring out how are they learning to fall asleep like if they fall asleep with a lovey and like mom present then usually when they go to their natural night waking they need those same conditions to be in place in order Mm -hmm. to fall asleep because their body our bodies are just in tune to change equals danger that's why Mm -hmm. we are become more alert so if things are the same throughout the night then less likely to wake up and be more alert during those night waking. Well, I may just have to work with you <laughs> and how we can it's a make slow those adjustments. Sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and once they do, like they're pretty sleep against sleep. So the more sleep that we get, the more sleep that we want. So once kids start sleeping through a couple of those wakings, their bodies, and it's not conscious, their bodies want more of that. Right. So it becomes a habit with the night wakings and then the items and all of the things. And then Mm -hmm. once their body gets like straight sleep, they're like, we need more of that. And so they become, for lack of a term, good sleepers, Mm -hmm. which is, yeah. I always wondered when my kids were infants, like if the whole sleep begets sleep was, if it was accurate, because like I would freak out if they slept too long and I'm like, oh my gosh, now they're never going to go to bed. No, but sleep begets, like, it was this constant, like, inner monologue in my head about how to make sure they were getting enough, but not too much. (laughs) Right? I think for infants, too, like, and I haven't trained in infant sleep yet, because it is a whole other ballgame. But it is one of those things with kids, too, like, if you let, if they don't sleep that much during the night, but then you let them sleep for two, three hours during the day, then you know that that's going to end up being a tough night. Oh, regardless. Yeah. So sometimes it, you want to teach, let's say it'd be more specific, consolidated sleep. Because right. Solid, consolidated sleep. <laughs> there you go. That's what we want. <laughs> we we want to change the phrase. <laughs> yeah. Like we don't need them sleeping throughout the day. That's not right. something that. Unless they're during like different ages, they need naps, of course. But once that nap's faded, if we're needing naps, and that seems actually this kind of leads us into napping, which is cool for us. Right. I was going to ask. Yeah. That's what I was just going to ask about. Napping for kids, everyone knows, or even adults, we know that a nap, if we're napping too much, sometimes that can suggest that we're maybe not getting high quality sleep at night. However, for athletes, the research really shows that naps can be helpful for recovery. Even from 20 minutes to 90 minutes, you can get benefit from that. So after going for a run, and if you have a moment, lie down and just practice having a nap, set your timer so that you don't sleep for too long. Otherwise, 
something called sleep inertia can kick in. And that's where you're wanting to go into your next phases of sleep. And it's like the groggy, disoriented Mm -hmm. feeling that you can get if your nap is too long. But using that to help support your recovery, especially through high intensity training periods, can be really helpful. And you'll know because you can play around with it. If you have a nap, but you're really having a hard time falling asleep, then maybe the nap your sleep pressure is just not high enough. So you just might need to wait a little bit longer for sleep to take over. But rest is rest at the end. Yeah. So is there a benefit to rest? Like if I, like, for instance, I was telling you on Mondays, like on Monday nights, I don't get to bed until after my kids go to sleep, which is after 10. And then I wake up around 3.30 for 5 a.m. practice. So then I try to lay down and I usually just rest for a little bit when I get home from my workout but I don't fall asleep because I still, I just ran really hard and I still have coffee in my system, et cetera. Even just laying down and resting at all beneficial or is it just, I mean, for like, as far as recovery goes. Yeah. Do you close your eyes when you rest or do you, are you kind of doing something? Oh no, I'm totally like, I am, Hey, if I can fall asleep and my kids are still asleep, I'm going to do it. But I just have a tough time actually falling asleep. Yeah. It's probably, Rest is still good. I'd say the sleep, if you can get yourself into some lighter stages of sleep, that would probably be the most beneficial. However, still resting, you might even slip into a stage one sleep because sometimes it's like awake, but not awake. Mm -hmm. So allowing yourself to be in that place for a little bit can be helpful. But a full on nap might be nice. Oh, yeah. I made a bargain with my kids today. I'm going to go take them someplace fun. And I was like, if I do this, that means mommy gets to lay down for a little bit when we get home. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I bet these days are so long. (laughs) Yes. Yes. It's the whole, like, then I question, why am I a mother runner? (laughs) Sometimes I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. But yes, it's all worth it in the end. Exactly. Yeah, nothing that's wonderful and great isn't like challenging at times, right? Yeah, not always easy. One of the questions that I got from the Instagram community was about weaning off of sleep aids such as Lunesta. I know that a lot of people, I feel like so many people are taking melatonin or prescribed like Lunesta or it's like CBD to help them sleep. Is it recommended that you wean off and how would you? Like I always preface it with consulting your doctor, your pharmacist, when you're weaning off of something. Melatonin is a supplement. It's over the counter here Mm -hmm. in Canada anyway, maybe in the States too, over the counter. Again, melatonin is so common. It's usually the first go-to, but our body makes it naturally. There's just lots of things that we're doing that stop the effect of it, which is blue light and screens is one of the biggest things. So consulting your doctor before taking it, as well as the pharmacist and make sure like you're buying good products if that's what you feel like you need. But at the end of the day, those are all sedatives. And so a sedative is not getting you that high quality sleep and seeing if you can come back off of it and teach your body to sleep again. But doing that collaboratively with professionals. So your doctor for fading out medication Sometimes a behavioral specialist like me who understands sleep from a behavior standpoint, it's helpful to kind of move into that direction because you do have to reteach. One thing about fading off medication, though, is that you will experience, you might experience insomnia rebound. It's pretty common, which means if you had insomnia before, the rebound effects, it might get worse before it gets better. 
So having a team in place to help you manage that and what's the plan. Sometimes it is building up the habits first and the behavioral repertoires that you need and then looking at working collaboratively with the doctor to save the meds so that you do have a solid foundation so that you're not trying to build these new habits when you're struggling and you're experiencing that insomnia rebound. Ooh, yeah. It does not sound fun. No, and medication, it's a quick fix, but it actually causes, I'd say, more problems in the long term. Mm-hmm. But there are some times where there's people who felt like they hadn't slept for days and they just need some relief. And I get it. But it's making sure you're kind of moving in a direction of how to support moving forward. And that's not necessarily a long-term solution. What about magnesium? Again, magnesium is another one that naturopaths suggest is helpful. I think these are all things that like cover the problem. I don't think we're all like lacking in magnesium for any they might be, I don't know. And that's where uh-huh. like your naturopath or your pharmacist can kind of help you with that. But it, there might be some other areas that you might need to clean up a little bit around sleep to help your body just naturally do its thing. Yeah, that's a great point. So how do you know if you're getting enough sleep? Like, is it pretty obvious? What are the signs that you should look for that tell you that you're not, I guess? would be a better way to ask that. Yeah, if you're not getting enough sleep, you'll probably feel a lot of daytime fatigue. You might be getting sick a lot. You might be putting on weight that you just can't explain why. You might be getting injured more often. You might be really cranky all the time and like <laughs> just really having a hard time getting into, because we fluctuate with moods, right? But you mm-hmm. might be feeling a little, like very low for like longer not necessarily mm-hmm. depression, maybe depression, those kind of go hand in hand, but feeling more in a lower mood state, easily triggered by things, mm-hmm. maybe on a good day, don't really trigger you. So it's looking at kind of your before and after when I have good sleep, and I'm in a good place, like, what does that look like for me? And then when I'm struggling with sleep, what does that look like? Or sometimes people might not even remember when they last had a good night's sleep. Yeah, a I good feel- stretch. yeah. I feel for those people. I know some Mm -hmm. people who are like that, who just cannot sleep through the night. And I just, I don't know how they're walking around being nice human beings. I know. I've met so, (laughs) like, again, I've met so many parents that when they tell me their sleep story and like, they probably haven't slept straight since their child was born. And that could be like five, eight years, Mm -hmm. like it could be 20, they're 20 years old now. I'm impressed with how much they survived this, but you can also see it in the, their bodies and in their faces and in mm-hmm. their disability, like their memory. Like if your memory is feeling a little bit weird, like you're not <laughs> remembering things, you're losing your keys, like you're, that can also be a sign that you're not getting good sleep. Mm-hmm. Your memory again is so, your brain should be functioning at full capacity if you've had a good sleep. Oh yeah, totally. I yeah. mean, I notice it. I wish there was a way to train your body to get less sleep. I just feel like that would make everything easier, but I know that's not the case. The Navy SEALs do it, but we're not Navy SEALs. So, I mean, there might be some science that we're not like fully aware of yet. Like I know there are some technology things coming out to help induce deeper sleep, like sound waves and things like that. But the research for sure is not robust yet, but research is always like five, 10 years behind depending on who's funding it. So I think in the next few years, we might see something. But at the end of the day, our ancestors all slept well and what they needed. Like, I think at the end of the day, we don't need as much stuff. We're just, we have to look at how we manage our days, how we Mm -hmm. manage our emotions and how we manage our stress and anxiety and how much we take on as 
human beings, I think we take on a lot that it's how can we take on less to sleep more? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I love that you're so like, you're very pure and simple, like your whole approach to it. And that makes sense. I remember when I started learning all about this, like, first of all, I freaked out because I realized that sleep was so important when I learned about why. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. It's daunting. Yeah. You go into like a little bit of a fear spiral and then you want to go into a place of controlling. Like I need to control everything. I need to control my bedtime routine. I need to control my day. I need to control these things. I don't say yes to like things that would be fun, like going out with friends because it's going to interfere with my sleep. And then looking at that, and then now you're not living a life that you want, you're controlling mm-hmm. everything just to get sleep. And so it's letting go of that control and learning to just allow your body processes to work at, as they do. They know what they need, knows what it needs to do. And moving towards that instead, versus trying to just a lot of sleep stuff is about like, you must do this, you must do that, you must do this. Mm-hmm. There's flexibility within all of those rules. There is a gray area. I love that. And I love, I love that you say, don't freak out if you get a poor night's sleep every so often, like it's okay. It's normal. It's very normal. And if you are struggling, like I know there's so many people out there struggling with hard insomnia. I've read in a book, that's what he called it, hard insomnia. And that's the one that's so, it's like torture. So seeking out the help and just advocating for ways, if medication is the first recommendation, have that as the option, but maybe look somewhere else because you might start, that might actually harm you long in the long term. Mm-hmm. So getting to the root of the problem, figuring that out, and then getting support in that way it might take longer, but it will be like more durable for long term. Yeah. Getting to the core of the issue instead of just treating mm-hmm. the symptoms. Exactly. Yeah. Which is what Western medicine loves to do. I know. <laughs> We need a balance. It needs to, it's, I think it's slowly starting to balance, but it is like when your doctor only has 10 minutes to see you, they can't give you a full sleep plan. They can give you your sleep hygiene checklist, but a sleep hygiene checklist, unfortunately won't solve insomnia. It can solve some minor sleep issues or like just improve your quality of sleep. But if there's some behavioral components in there that you want to look at and understanding the why first before taking that pill. <laughs> That's great. That's great yeah. advice. So if somebody wanted to connect with you, I don't know if you if you do work with people outside of Canada or how that works. Yeah. Yeah. So I do. I am a board certified behavior analyst. That's kind of my title. So I are called like our governing body is in the state. So we do do work internationally, which is kind of cool. And a lot of my services are virtual. I'll be offering workshops soon and having some products available so that accessible for everybody. But I do do one-to-one lots of with parents and adults and kids, teenagers, just to figure out what is the sleep stuff going on? How can we solve it? And sometimes it's not that big of an issue and it can be solved in a couple weeks. And we're like, okay, we're on the right track. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. I yeah. mean, cause I guess usually you assume it's something complex Or it could just be, hey, get off your phone 90 minutes before you go to bed. And there you go. Yeah, that is one that I've seen amazing. I was like, oh, okay. So that's a simple fix that I think everyone could try. It's the one, like your one hour challenge. One hour challenge. Yeah. 
And it's always nice to do with people for sure. I think I'm going to do another one next time. That's a little bit bigger, which will be exciting. Oh, good. I will be on board. I'll do it. Okay, perfect. Yeah. (laughs) Actually, I think I might start tonight. That's not necessarily my trouble, but I have, I did notice that like when my son comes down and wakes me up and then I'll look at my phone and see what time it is. And then that's my problem. Cause then I'm like, Oh, I'm gonna have to wake up in an hour anyways. And then the brain starts going. And so I now like don't even look at my phone then. So I just try, try not to look at it. Cause that's, I know that it is a source of a lot of sleep issues for me I know and a I- lot of people. My husband has his phone next to his bed. I have my phone completely out of the room and I just bought an alarm clock, like <laughs> an old alarm clock that I use if I need to look at the time. Cause yeah, it can just be so distracting. And I think a lot of people are doing that now. Like, I think that's kind of coming back the old school alarm clock. Yeah, exactly. Just those, get those phones out of the room. They're just, you never know what might pop up on there. Yes. So it just can be one of those things. <laughs> one small change could make a huge impact. You never know. Totally. I totally believe that. So if people want to reach you or find out more about you, where can they do that? Yeah. So I'm on Instagram at your behavior gal behavior is spelled with a U. Mm -hmm. That's how we spell it in Canada. And (laughs) I'm also, I have my website, www.yourbehaviorgal.com. And I offer free discovery calls for anyone looking for services or support. Oh, cool. I'm always great. You're always here, except for when you're always sleeping. There. Except for when I'm <laughs> sleeping, exactly. <laughs> Although some of the irony is I stay up later to support some clients if we're doing like actual live messaging. So the irony sticks with me when I'm up late. Yeah, but. <laughs> but again, that makes you relatable because you exactly. understand where yeah. the challenges come from. And sometimes it's just because you have you're living your life. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, awesome. Well, this has been very eye-opening, I guess, pun intended. So, oh my gosh, I'm so cheesy. That just came to me too. But anyways, thank you. I learned a lot and I am pretty sure our listeners did too. So thanks for taking the time. Thank you so much for having me. It was great. Thank you, Nicole. And thank you all for listening to The Passionate Runner. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned are available at runnerclick.com slash podcast. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from the episodes, please leave a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash the passionate runner. We will be sure to read these out on future episodes. We will talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. Thank you.